Well, hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Fun Theatre Co., the podcast. This is Kayla Schultz. I am a theatre maker and art enthusiast. I'm currently enjoying the beautiful weather we are having in Baltimore today, and things are really looking up. We've made it to spring 2021. So many Marylanders are vaccinated. Theaters are starting to you know, really get together their plans for opening up. And I cannot wait for fun theater to be a part of that as we resurge into the new world. And I've been thinking a lot about this new era of theater we're going into and what it was like before. So I want to take us today all the way back to the 19th century as I am going to tell all of you the story of the Astor Place Riots which happened in New York City, 1849, also known as the Actors' Riot. I got sources for this story from an article by University of Pittsburgh professor Bruce Micanacci, Wikipedia articles, Encyclopedia Britannica articles, and articles from Smithsonian Magazine as well. And from that, let's get started. The 19th century in America and Europe, before films became the largest form of entertainment, the theater was boss. Theaters became main gathering places in any large city, and as a result, popular theater actors gained celebrity status, like sports players would today. Riots and general unruliness was not uncommon in the theaters and opera houses. They were usually staged to oppose theater policies, an actor they didn't like, even a crew member, or literally a piece of music they played at the theater last night. Audience members or even scorned actors would break furniture, throw things on stage, but nothing tragic would ever happen, especially as theaters were used to the heckling, you know, we've been throwing tomatoes since Elizabethan times at performers. However, the planned Astor Place riot, which occurred on May 10th, 1849, is generally known to have marked the end of theater rioting, as it was the deadliest so far. As America was a new and growing country, the true patriots had a disdain for English theater practices that had dominated the country's art scene. A theater was even attacked while British actors were performing as a part of the Stamp Act riots all the way back. So up until the Astor Place riots, British actors often found themselves to be targets of patriotic anger while on tour in the new country. So the actual riot was centered around actors Edwin Forrest and William McCready. Edwin Forrest was, and still is, considered to be the first American theatrical superstar. Forrest was born in Philadelphia, PA, son of Rebecca and William Forrest. As children, Edwin and his brother joined a local children's theater group that performed plays in a barn. And at the age of 11, Forrest made his first appearance on the legitimate stage in Philadelphia at the South Street Theater, playing Rosalia de Borgia in the John D. Turnbull play, Rudolph or the Robbers of Calabria. Edwin's father died when he was 13, and then he had attempted to apprentice with a printer, a copper, and a candle maker. However, things really turned for him when he attended a lecture 
in early 1820 at age 14. He had volunteered to participate in an experiment around the effects of nitrous oxide. So in front of all these people, while high on this gas, he broke into a soliloquy from Richard III that apparently really impressed a prominent Philadelphia lawyer who was in the audience, John Swift, so much that Swift arranged an audition for Edwin at the Walnut Street Theater, which then led to Forrest's formal stage debut in November of 1820 as young Norval in the blank verse tragedy Douglas by John Holm. Unfortunately, as American actors did, Forrest often performed in blackface and gained much notoriety for playing a, quote, realistic African-American. He was known to be able to mingle on the streets in black areas of town and fit in. And according to this, he allegedly convinced an actual black woman that he was black and gained her trust enough to convince her to be in the play. I wish I had more of a story about how that went down. Edwin had great success as Othello at the Bowery Theater. However, he got paid so much under what he was worth at the time. And another theater had offered for him to come play Othello for them at a much higher salary. But apparently his integrity was too high to break his contract with the Bowery. He continued to gain notoriety in the American theater scenes in both new plays and Shakespeare, especially after he toured England for a little bit where he had originally met the rival, William McCready. In June 1837, Edwin married Catherine Norton Sinclair, daughter of John Sinclair, a popular English singer at the time. And Edwin had created a playwriting contest from 1828 to 1847. And essentially the only rule was that the plays had to, you know, fit Forrest as the lead role. He was like, these plays have to be about me or at least, you know, for me to be as the lead. And he was able to get a lot of new American playwrights produced this way and helped America build its own, you know, theater scene from the start. And, you know, this time in his story, it takes us up to 1849 with this riot. So let's talk about the celebrated British actor, William McCready, the other half of this infamous rivalry. So William was born in London to two actors, William McCready Sr. and Christina Ann Birch. On the 16th of September in 1816, McCready made his first London appearance at the Covent Garden Theatre as Orestes in The Distressed Mother. His performance as Richard III at the Covent Garden Theatre on October 25th, 1819 really sealed the deal, making him one of the highest praised actors in London. His performance as Richard III at the Covent Garden Theater on October 25th, 1819, really sealed the deal, making him one of the highest praised actors in London. And McCready was actually responsible for returning the text of King Lear to Shakespeare's text, although, you know, shortened as we still perform them today, after it had been replaced for more than 150 years by a happy ending adaptation by Nahum Tate called The History of King Lear. He is credited for the overall transition of using other versions of Shakespeare's work back to the original text, just abridged versions from the first, second, third folios, whatnot. McCready's career 
slowly transitioned from just an actor to also managing theaters. He was once the manager of the Covent Garden Theater and the Drury Lane Theater at different times during his career. And he is really regarded as the first person to impose upon this 19th century theater the principle of unity, where the actors and all other elements of, perform of a performance, like the design, other ambiance things, the way to connect the actors in a way that didn't happen before. Like in this era, the leads would mostly memorize their lines just by themselves, and all they do is they know the script and they show up to perform it. And William McCready, when he started to direct the plays, really changed the way it works, demanded that everybody rehearse together and creating a, you know, sense of unity throughout the production. He also really advocated for the use of accurate costuming in historical pieces and was a really big proponent of set design becoming more specific to the story and creating something original rather than using the same standard like backdrops and whatnot. He made a successful tour of the United States from 1843 to 1844 with the time of the riot being his final performances in the United States. So Forrest and McCready's Actual rivalry began while Forrest was on tour in England for the second time in 1845. He was accompanied by his wife and had many great successes in his performances. He played, you know, multiple roles out there. However, during a performance of Macbeth, playing Macbeth, he was hissed by the audience. They did not like his version of Macbeth. And then Forrest, you know, he freaked out and essentially said that they had hissed because McCready told them to. They just like his version better because they're so uppity, which reportedly was out of the blue because they had only had good interactions from the first time he had been in England. They had already met before. Things really got messed up when a few weeks later, McCready was playing Hamlet at a show in Edinburgh and Forrest stood up in his private box and started hissing. That destroyed the respect that he had had by the British public. It was in all the papers the next day, including an angry letter that Forrest wrote about how they just don't understand him. A lot of drama there. And once we get to 1949, apparently none of this had cooled down. And McCready had been... So in 1949, McCready is playing Macbeth at the Astor Place Theater or the Astor Place Opera House. The Astor Place Theater was built in the modern day Broadway district of New York City, placed there specifically for the wealthier theater goers to be able to avoid interacting with immigrants in nearby neighborhoods. So this kind of connects us to, you know, the Great White Way. And with the Astor Place's lavish dress code and an early bougie reputation, the very existence of the Astor Opera House was a threat to the populist Americans because for them, theater had been a gathering place for anyone of any class, as it originally was, you know, in Elizabethan theaters, especially Shakespeare's. And they felt that these requirements there, the attitude, especially that British people would perform there, it was, it was anti-American. Actually, you know, we're not even 100 years 
after the signing of the constitution yet, like the culture was in a place where it would lead to this. It is reported that a half of a carcass of a dead sheep was thrown at McCready while performing somewhere in America. Again, I need to know more about that interaction. And this riot was planned, apparently. So while planning for this, the May 10th riot, Forrest supporters on May 7th, three days before, they bought hundreds of tickets to William McCready's performance of Macbeth at the Astor Place. And they pelted fruit, furniture, bottles, shoes, anything on stage during this production of Macbeth. And as per tradition, the show went on and all the actors seemingly kept performing during this, literally people throwing things and yelling things at them. They performed in pantomime because they couldn't be heard anyway, so they just weren't talking. They were just going through the motions and trying not to get hit by things. And after this performance, McCready was like, I've had enough, I'm getting on the next boat. Tell everybody I'm canceling this last show. And some of his fervent supporters really convinced him that he's just to do the last show. Give us Macbeth one more time. Some of us love you. Please do it for us. And that last performance was on May 10th, the day of the riot. New York City police heard of the riot outside the theater being planned for May 10th after flyers were passed around town calling for true Americans to exercise their rights against the English aristocracy. And they said in big letters, shall Americans or English rule this city? It says... The crew of the British steamer have threatened all Americans who shall dare to express their opinions this night at the English aristocratic opera house. That's in big letters. We advocate no violence, but a free expression of opinion to all public men. Working men, free men, stand by your lawful rights. That's what this says. We will have a picture of this up on our Instagram. I really encourage you encourage you to look at this and I need to figure out how to get a giant poster of this in my home for sure. So as you know, they heard about that this big riot is going to happen. And that morning, the police chief, George Washington Matsell informed Caleb Woodhull, the new Whig mayor, that there was, we did not have enough manpower, enough people to stop a huge riot that's happening. So mayor Woodhull, called upon the militia for standby. And so that night for this play, there were 150 policemen inside the theater and 100 outside. Additional policemen were assigned to literally just guard the houses of the wealthiest people in the city. Sounds like something that would happen today. So by the time the show started that night, 10,000 people were surrounding the theater. William McCready, again, just like three days before, performed the show in pantomime as the audience was just overcome with forest supporters and raucous and an anger throwing things the whole time at the end of the show. Cause somehow he did the whole show like that was able to slip out the back of the theater in disguise and get out unscathed team forest had attempted to light the opera house on fire from the inside, but that plan had failed due to the large number of police and soldiers present. So it was mostly just vandalism at this point. And so sounding familiar again, fearing that they had lost control of the city, the mayor and police chief called the militia who showed up 
to fire point blank into the crowd. They, somebody gave a cue and they just started shooting into the crowd. A New York Tribune article published the next morning wrote, as one window after another cracked, the pieces of bricks and paving stones rattled in on the terraces and lobbies. The confusion increased till the opera house resembled a fortress besieged by an invading army rather than a place meant for the peaceful amusement of civilized community. It is estimated that between 22 and 31 people were killed, a lot of them being just bystanders who had happened to seen or ended up in the crowd of thousands without intending to cause any violence. So 22 to 31 people were killed. 58 of the rioters were wounded. 50 to 70 policemen were injured. And at least 140 members of the militia were injured. It was... This was the largest and highest casualty riot or civil disturbance that had happened in New York City to date. And the elites of the city and other government officials completely praised the action by the police and the army to quell these unruly citizens and used it to boast about how safe New York City was. So this whole thing where the... New York City Police Department called the army, the army shot into the crowd, and a bunch of unarmed civilians were killed. Members of their own were injured. Innocent bystanders killed, injured. Children injured. And this gave, you know, the NYPD part of their good early reputation. This is where it began. This violence by them being twisted in a way to show how good they are. While the Astor Place Opera House, their reputation was completely ruined after that night. And smaller theaters, including burlesque houses and vaudeville clubs, referred to it as the Disaster House. Like D-I-S-A-S-T-O-R. Disaster House. Really the like final kind of message of all of this comes from uh, Nigel Cliff, the author of The Shakespeare Riots, which is now number one on my books to buy list. He really encompasses that these riots furthered the process of class alienation and segregation in New York City and America. The entertainment world then really separated into respectable and working class orbits and professional actors ended up gravitating towards the respectable theaters and the vaudeville houses at the time and other like smaller theaters would essentially put on like skits making fun of Shakespeare and this really started Shakespeare being removed from the popular culture of the time of what everybody knew about. It was like the common stories that were always told to a new high class, highbrow form of entertainment. And it's, it's just so crazy to me how like I've had never heard of this until recently. And I knew 
I 1000% had to share this story because it really does, I feel like it was a huge historical shift. I mean, taking Shakespeare from the art form of even the poorest classes to what made it have such an uppity reputation, especially, you know, you know, in America and America media like spreads their ideas across the world. So I think it's, you know, left just our borders, but that's really part of what sparked that idea. And the NYPD dealing with their first ever huge riot and really the only reason it had the highest casualties out of anything was just because they decided to show up and start shooting. And it was twisted as a good thing that made them, it's crazy. It's crazy. Thank you all for listening. I really encourage you to look more into Edwin Forrest and William McCready. They are huge historical playmakers in theater history. Edwin Forrest being like the first huge American actor. He has a bunch of like things named after him at various places. The Eugene O'Neill Theater in on Broadway was originally the Forrest Theater. And William McCready, not just besides being one of the most popular British actors of his time, really was a huge proponent in creating the style of theater that we see today, less performative, less about the individual actors, creating a unified production. And it's it's fascinating to me. Check out our Instagram page. I'm gonna have a bunch of pictures there that are you know relevant to this story. You can follow us on Instagram at fun.theater. That's theater with an R-E. We'll have stuff about here. I wanna hear your thoughts on this story because I want more people to know about it. The Astor Place Riots. Thank you for joining me today. I hope to be in your earbuds once again soon. Keep up with the fun.